that was there and had him crucified. They responded to Pilate, the governor of that trial, who said, this is an innocent man. They said, his blood be on us and on our children. They filled up their sins to the uttermost. They finished the transgression of that nation against God in killing his son. The Lord Jesus Christ came 40 years later in judgment upon that nation, that wicked nation, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. In so doing, he ended the old covenant finally and fully. There was no more temple. There was no more altar, no more sacrifices, no more priesthood. There was nothing. The shaking of the heaven and the earth, shaking away the beggarly dust of the old covenant had floated away into oblivion. And the new covenant was here that we're part of. It was a great event. It's overlooked by most when they read the Bible, when they preach the Bible. It will help build your faith in the Word of God because it tells us what happened in advance. A long time in advance, as we're about to see. It will build your faith and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you listen, because He's a great King. And He did destroy His enemies. It will build your faith in fulfilled prophecy. It will help you understand the New Testament. And it will save you from all the foolish ideas of futurists who want to take fulfilled prophecies and stick them out in the future where they value and benefit no one. They're made up Jewish fables of Jew lovers who do not know who a true Jew is. I may sound anti-Semitic, but those people on earth today, most of them know that they're not even Jews. They're not even Semites. They're Gentiles. Because Jerusalem is still being trodden down of what kind of people? Gentiles. According to the prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ, Luke 21 and verse 24. We know that a true Jew is one who is one inwardly. It is not an outward mark. It is not an outward race. It is an inward race and an inward work of the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 2, 28 and 29. And those that do not have that inward work of grace and yet claim to be Jews, Jesus says they are of the synagogue of Satan. They have nothing to do with him. What we want to do is go back in our Old Testaments this morning and see if we can race through the Old Testament, remind ourselves that the prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled in 70 A.D. were long-standing, plainly stated, and include the details of what happened in 70 A.D. I want you to begin by turning your Bibles to Deuteronomy 18, all the way back to Moses. Moses spoke of 70 A.D., in which the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Roman armies. Deuteronomy 18. Here is a prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago, but I want to remind you of it again. Deuteronomy 18, beginning at verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. When the nation of Israel saw God come down as a consuming fire upon the mountain, they said, we don't want God to speak with us. This is just too much for us to take. We want you to speak to us, Moses, or someone like you. And God said, they have well spoken. I will raise up the Lord Jesus Christ. And brethren, 1,500 years before Jesus Christ, Moses gives this prophecy that God would raise up a special prophet. This is the Lord Jesus. He will speak to you everything that I command him. And those who do not hearken to what he says, 
I will require it of him. It's worded this way in Acts chapter 3, which we also looked at a couple of weeks ago. And whosoever will not obey that prophet, I will destroy from among the people. The nation of Israel, for the most part, rejected the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted nothing to do with him. They rebelled against his words. They did not want to hear him. And I'm especially speaking of the religious leadership of that nation. They rebelled against Jesus Christ. And they persecuted him. And they tried to catch him in his words. They tried to slander him. Then they falsely accused him in a mock trial and crucified the Lord of glory. If 70 A.D. didn't occur within a short period of time after that, then God's a liar. Because this says, I will raise up a special prophet that's going to be likened to Moses, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will require it of the people that do not hear him. This was the last great prophet God sent to Israel. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was sent with a man announcing his coming, and that was John the Baptist. He had a time frame in which he would come. They could know the year of the coming of Jesus Christ. There should have been no mistaking the arrival of Jesus of Nazareth as the Son of God. And it wasn't mistaken by those who feared God. Simeon knew that he was coming soon. Anna knew that he was coming soon. And it tells us that Anna spoke to many that were looking for redemption. Men mused in their hearts whether John was the Messiah because there was great expectation that Jesus Christ was about to, the Messiah was about to come on the scene in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have, way back in Deuteronomy, 1500 years in advance, I will raise up a special prophet, a mediator between God and men, a man like Moses, born of a woman, made under the law, and if you don't hear him, he will destroy you from among the people. Deuteronomy 18. Let's turn back in our Bibles to Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26, along with Deuteronomy 28, are the two great chapters of blessings and curses that Moses gave the children of Israel. In each chapter, Moses begins by saying, If you will obey, here are the things God will do for you. If you disobey, the second half of the chapter, here are the things God is going to do against you. Now, I am preaching this this series of messages on 70 A.D. for the reasons I've already listed, but let me say them again. I want you to tremble with joy before the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to understand the Bible better than most. I want you to know... That if you rebel against the Lord Jesus Christ, He will punish you. I want you to know He's a great Savior and a victorious conqueror. And He's a Prince that rides forth in victorious triumph. My Psalm 45. I want you to love the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to get a blessing from singing, Crown Him with many crowns. Because you recognize exactly how he is crowned, where he is crowned, and what he has been doing for the last 1,935 years. I want it to humble you. I want it to cause your hearts to rejoice. I want you to understand your Bibles. I want you to see that Jesus Christ is a great king. He makes David look like a little pansy in comparison He is the Son of David, and He's a glorious Savior. While He came to destroy His enemies, He came to save His friends. He came to save all those that God had given Him before the foundation of the world, and He didn't lose a single one of them. He was, at the same time, the most horrible conqueror the world has ever seen. The most terrible is what I mean. Most terrifying. And yet, at the same time, the most gentle, meekest, kindest, long-suffering friend that sinners ever had. That is my Savior. I am a little ambassador to tell you about Him. He has surely chosen babes and sucklings to have me before you this morning. But I'll tell you one thing. This babe and this suckling is going to tell you the way it is from the Word of God. And you should tremble before our Savior. We want to rejoice with trembling. 
Leviticus 26, look at these warnings that are given here. I first of all would like to to show you that in verses 18, 21, 24, and 28, he says, if you will not obey me, I'm going to come and I'm going to be seven times worse than you thought I could be. I'm going to be seven times worse than the judgment that you think you might deserve for your sins. And he uses the word seven times more, four times. Verses 18, 21, 24, and 28. He sounds like Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't he? I'm going to heat this furnace seven times hotter than it is wont to be heated. And the Lord Jesus Christ says this. Now see, I don't read the Bible and race over the word seven and just think of Nebuchadnezzar. Can any one of you think of anything else? In the New Testament, 1,500 years later, that Jesus Christ said that used the word seven. He said, when an evil spirit departs from a man, he wanders about and can't find a place to stay. And so he goes and gets a few of his friends, seven of them, and they come back and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Then what are the next words? So shall it be unto this generation. That generation of Jews that Jesus Christ dealt with, that refused Him, He cast out devils, those devils came back, and they were seven times worse when that generation was destroyed by the Roman armies. Here we have the promise of the seven in Leviticus 26, 1,500 years in advance. Let's keep looking in Leviticus 26. Look at verses 31 through 33. I'll read them to you. Verse 31 of Leviticus 26, And I will make your cities waste, and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation. And I will not smell the savour of your sweet odors. And I will bring the land into desolation. And your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the heathen, and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Now it says cities and it says sanctuaries. So if someone were to say to me, Leviticus 26 was fulfilled when Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, destroyed Solomon's temple and laid it waste and left the land desolate for 70 years, I would say, you're half right. You're half right. Because it says sanctuaries, plural. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Solomon's temple. The Roman armies destroyed Zerubbabel's temple. There were only two. And the Roman armies destroyed the second one, the one that the Lord Jesus Christ visited. This is a prophecy 1,500 years in advance of what God would do to a people that rebelled against Him. I will not smell your offerings. I will not smell your incense. I don't care that you're offering sacrifices. I don't care that you think you have the priesthood. I don't care that you read my word. I don't care that you call it my house. Your house is left unto you desolate. It's not my house. I'm coming to destroy it. Your sanctuary and your cities, I'll lay them waste and I will leave the land desolate. Does that word have a connection with your minds? Have you read enough yet of the New Testament to know that the word desolate here is a prophecy of what Jesus Christ was going to do with the Roman armies. The abomination of desolation. The pagan foreign armies are the abomination. The desolation is what they did. They laid the land waste. And they made waste of the cities and the sanctuary. Prophesied long ago. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28, I said that was the other chapter of the blessings and curses upon Israel if they would not obey. And the greatest act of disobedience was obviously disobeying the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophesied Messiah that they'd been told about from the third chapter of the first book Moses ever wrote. Genesis chapter 3. What are you doing with the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Do you snuff at him? What does that mean? (sighs) We gotta go to church again? I have some kind words for you. Go to hell. I didn't say that. I said that on behalf of my Savior. 
if you want to snuff at the Lord of glory, go to hell. <sighs> Got to go to church again. I wish I could have the day off. You want to snuff at the Lord of hosts? Cursed. That's what I just told you. I just used different words that you would understand what a curse was. Cursed. Be every one that every deceiver that does not give the Lord of hosts the best that he's got. I am preaching this message for you to love and fear the Lord Jesus Christ and to commit your life to Him and to serve Him with every ounce of your being. Do you know what the Apostle Paul would say if you think I'm too harsh? If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. Let him be cursed at the coming of Jesus Christ. You're too tired to stay awake when the Word of God's being preached? You wish you had a more entertaining preacher? There's lots of them. I would dare say that every preacher in Greenville is more entertaining than I am. Go listen to them. But it's the Word of God we're here to hear. Amen. And look what the Word of God is telling us. He sounds like Nebuchadnezzar. I'll punish you seven times more. He's a great Savior. But I'll tell you one thing. He doesn't take disobedience and rebellion. He's a wonderful Savior. He's the greatest friend you'll ever have. He is more tender and compassionate, merciful and forgiving than anyone you will ever meet. But He is a great King. And He deserves our utmost in reverence and respect and fearful worship. Deuteronomy 28, verse 25. 1,500 years B.C., Moses writes, The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and shalt be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. Was that ever fulfilled, or is God a liar? Fulfilled. They're scattered throughout the earth. Where is the greatest population in the last 100 years of people that call themselves Jews? Ukraine, Russia, Poland, Romania, Hungary, Eastern Europe. There's a reason for that. If you were to ever study the people that call themselves Jews, you'd figure out why they all live there. It's where their ancestors live. They're the children of Ashkenaz, a son of Japheth, a Gentile. Where are the rest? Largest population of Jews in one place, New York City. Scattered throughout the earth. A few of them have gone back to the place that they call Israel. We'll call it Palestine, a Roman province, because it has nothing to do with the Israel of God. Amen. The Israel of God is a heavenly country. Abraham knew that. He certainly didn't want that piece of sand over there between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. He wanted heaven. And that's what we want. Verse 64 of this chapter says the same thing about being scattered abroad among all nations. Deuteronomy 28.64, And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people, from the one end of the earth even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease. Have the Jews been able to find ease in Eastern Europe? I wouldn't say that Auschwitz was very easy. If there were any Jews there. Do they find ease or are they a byword and a proverb through the whole earth? Amen. This is the prophecy 1,500 years before the Lord Jesus Christ of what he would do to them. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21 that that, nation, that city would be wiped out and they would be led captive into all nations. Jesus Christ fulfilled it and he said all these things shall come to pass on this generation. That group of men living at that time that rebelled against the Lord Jesus Christ, refused the word of the prophet that God had raised up, refused the ministry of his prophets, refused the ministry of John the Baptist, and refused the ministry of his apostles for 40 years of signs and wonders. And then he destroyed them. This is the prophecy of it, 1,500 years before it happened. Look at verse 49 of this chapter, Deuteronomy 28. Verse 49. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, 
from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. And he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thy kine, or flocks of thy sheep, until he have destroyed thee. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high and fenced walls come down, wherein thou trustest throughout all thy land. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee. And then he goes on and describes, he uses an example to to show how terrible this event would be in that he describes a noble and delicate man and a woman eating their own children. If 70 A.D. didn't happen, God's a liar. Because the sins that they committed against the God of heaven that brought Nebuchadnezzar upon them to destroy their city were far less than what that nation did in crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ and rebelling against John the Baptist, the prophets, and the apostles that Jesus Christ commissioned for that nation. Paul said that over and over and over again. He said, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. That's just plain sense to understand that that generation that crucified God's Son was the wickedest generation this world has ever seen of any nation or race. They had the most privileges and yet they were the most profane. With the, with the blessings that were offered to them. Even the Lord Jesus Christ said, if Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah will have more mercy in the day of judgment than those Jews. If these works had been done in other cities, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Because that nation was devil possessed like no nation has ever been. And the warning is 1500 years BC to humble ourselves before the God of heaven. The God of heaven can torture you from the inside out. He can change all of your natural instinctive feelings toward your children until you would eat a child that you gave birth to. He's a great king. And we ought to fear him. If you followed me when I read those verses, if you listened as we read those verses, he says, I will besiege your cities. What is a siege? It's when an army surrounds the city and starves them out on the inside and doesn't let anyone escape. And did he do that? He absolutely did that. And he prophesied, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said in Luke 19, which you read last Saturday evening, he said, the days come that a trench is going to be dug all the way around this city. They're going to keep you in on every side and then level this place exactly as God told it 1,500 years B.C. 1,500 years before it happened, Moses preached it. Did they eat their young? Yes. History tells us to fulfill that prophecy. We can read about it. They ate their young. A woman named Mary, her father was named Eliezer, from the town of Bethzebub. She ate her son. She roasted and ate half of him. When the soldiers heard this horrible smell, they came to investigate what food source she had, and they were horrified that she had ate half of her son. Look at verse 68. I've mentioned this one to you before. Deuteronomy 28:68, And the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again with ships. By the way whereof I spake unto thee, thou shalt see it no more again. And there ye shall be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. There'll be too many, too many being for sale, too few buyers. No man's going to buy you. The prices of slaves would plummet because Titus had so many to unload. I will take you back to a place where I told you I would never take you again. Now, is God a liar? Or was that a conditional promise? 
That was a conditional promise to Israel. If you will obey me, you will never see Egypt again. But because they disobeyed him, God said, I will take you back where I said I would not take you. And he took them back in 70 A.D. Well known, recorded by Jewish and Roman historians, the fulfillment of the word of God. Those are prophecies of Moses. Look at Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. Verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense, as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions, and will bring their fears upon them, because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear, but they did evil before mine eyes, and chose that in which I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord. Ye that tremble at his word, your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. This is Isaiah the prophet 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ, describing what would happen for their rejection of Jesus Christ. A voice from the temple. This has nothing to do with the second coming. There's no second coming here because there isn't a temple in the earth at the second coming. This is the temple of God. And he, Stephen knew this passage. Stephen quoted this passage when he blasted the Jews that were condemning him at a false trial. And I want you to remember why Stephen was on trial. Because Stephen went around preaching what I'm preaching to you this morning. That Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy that holy place that you're trusting in. That is why Stephen was on trial. It's not because they didn't like deacons. It's because he taught that Jesus of Nazareth was coming to destroy that house they trusted in. And so when he preached a message... Three quarters of it he preached the history of Israel, and they were all saying amen to it. But then he got down to the house of God, and he quoted this passage right here. And he said, God doesn't dwell in a place with hands like you think. And so Stephen fulfilled the very prophecy that the Bible warns about when in Daniel, when Daniel said for the overspreading of abominations, God was going to make that city desolate. And look at what we read here about the abominations of that nation and their sacrificial system. Do you know what God thought of a man that killed an ox? He considered it like murdering a man in the worship of God. That's what verse 3 is teaching us. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. That's what it meant to the Lord. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. All of those sacrifices of the Jews were abominations in his sight. He said in Matthew 15, Mark 7, and other places, he said, by your traditions, you've made the worship of God of none effect. And so here we have a prophecy. You know, God was going to choose their delusions and their fears because he visited them and they did not receive his visitation. Jesus said in Luke 19 that he would level that city because they knew not the day of their visitation. When he called, they did not answer, but they refused him. Now, those, brethren, those Israelites cast out anyone that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Do you remember John chapter 9, the parents of the blind man? They were afraid to confess Jesus Christ because it had been said, if you confess Jesus Jesus Christ, you're out of the temple and out of synagogue worship. You will not worship with us. And they did it in the name of the Lord. But Jesus said, I will come to your rescue and I will destroy them. I hear a voice. I hear a voice from the city. What city? The city of Jerusalem in which they trusted. I hear a voice from the temple. I hear a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. 700 years in advance from Isaiah. Stephen knew it. We should know it. I want you grounded in it. We've already looked at Daniel. Prophecy of 70 weeks in chapter 9. And then chapters 10, 11, and 12 that give us a detailed prophecy extending 490 to 520 years all the way from where Daniel was writing that prophecy to the end of the Jewish people. He, remember Daniel chapter 12, verse 7? The man swore with both hands to heaven. As soon as the power of the holy people are scattered, then all this prophecy will have been fulfilled. When were the power of the holy people scattered? 70 A.D., when they were scattered and taken captive into all nations, and the nation of Israel was destroyed. Now, then there was a new nation, a new kingdom. Jesus Christ, the Son of David, is its king, and we are part of it, because he's brought Jews and Gentiles together into one kingdom. Are there individual Jews in that kingdom? Definitely. Is the nation that kingdom? Not a chance. Their house is left to them desolate, and they're scattered forever in all nations of the earth. And he's made a new nation of Jews and Gentiles together. And David, his son, Jesus Christ, reigns over it. We went to Joel a couple of weeks ago, and I showed you in Joel that there was a great and terrible day of the Lord coming. And when we looked at those words in Joel... It spoke of blood and fire and vapor of smoke and the sun not shining and the moon and the stars falling from heaven. And you look at all that language and you think, that's got to be the second coming. Well, no, it doesn't if we ever read the Bible. Just like this morning when we read Psalm 8 and it spoke of oxen and sheep and fish and birds being under our feet, it didn't really, it wasn't really talking about men and their dominion over man's creation. That wasn't the primary lesson. The primary lesson was Jesus Christ over us and over the human race and over principalities and powers and crowned at God's right hand. And when we read Joel and Joel described all those things, we came to Acts chapter 2 where on the day of Pentecost, the Jews were wondering what was going on to have a bunch of Galileans preaching the marvelous works of God in all the languages in which they had been born and these Galileans didn't even know their own language. And Peter said, don't be surprised, this is that. This is the event prophesied in Joel 2. Then he quoted five verses showing God is going to bring signs and wonders from your maidens, from your old men, from your young men. He's going to pour out his signs and wonders before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And that great and terrible day of the Lord was not far away because Peter, continuing that same sermon, said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. We went there. Joel, another one, 700 years before the events, fulfilling the Word of God. We're thankful for Acts chapter 2 because Peter tells us this is that. Don't go wondering about how the moon is going to turn into blood. Don't start looking in astronomy books to figure out how the moon can be read. This is that. Save yourselves. Repent on the Lord. Repent and believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized in His name because He's coming to judge His enemies. This is the prophet. Now we're in Acts chapter 3. This is the prophet Moses prophesied that was going to come and whosoever will not hear this prophet is going to be destroyed from among the people. Can you find the book of Amos? Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos. Let's very quickly look at a little prophecy of Amos. We're thankful for this little prophecy and its fulfillment 
and James at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 gives us the fulfillment of this one. We trust the Bible as its own commentary more than we would trust any man's commentary. We compare spiritual things with spiritual. Acts, I mean Amos, excuse me, Amos chapter 9 verse 11. Amos 9.11, right here at the end of this little book of Amos. Again, a prophet that came long before the events of the New Testament. Amos 9.11, in that day, will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, And of all the heathen, which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Amos 9, 11 and 12. You don't have to wonder what those two verses mean. James, at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, he let Peter talk about Cornelius being converted. Then he let Paul talk about all that Paul had done among the Gentiles. And then James said, this is the fulfillment. Brethren, hear me out. James says, hear me out. Amos told us about this day. And he quotes these two verses. When were these two verses fulfilled? When the nation of Israel was let go by God, and he made a new nation of Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus Christ was their king, and he raised up again the tabernacle of David. He raised up again the nation of Israel to the glory that it had under David, under Jesus Christ. And the conversion of the Gentiles was the fulfillment of this. When you read about prophecies in the Old Testament about God raising up His kingdom and making the heathen His inheritance, we are that fulfillment. We are the heathen on the uttermost parts of the earth that are part of the inheritance of the Lord Jesus Christ. All those, it says in here, which are called by My name. We are called by the name of God because God has chosen us to be His children and put His name upon us. We are the fulfillment. We are the new tabernacle of David raised up on the ruins of that trash nation into a new nation, a new kingdom, a new tabernacle. And instead of it being David our king, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, that is our king. And Acts 15 is the fulfillment of this passage. And we just come moving through and we see that He's setting aside the nation of Israel and making up a new nation of Jew and Gentile in and under the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the little book of Haggai. Haggai. It's right after Zephaniah. It's right near the end. We're approaching the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. The little book of Haggai. Haggai was a prophet that had a very focused and limited ministry. Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and Ezra came back from Babylon to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and its temple. God raised up two prophets to help them do their job. Haggai and Zechariah. Both of those prophets prophesied to the 45,000 people or so that came back from Babylon to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and its temple. This little prophecy right here is Haggai trying to stir the people up to build the temple. And we've been through it before. He says, consider your ways. Folks, in chapter 1, he's saying, do you understand why the bags that you put your wages in have holes in them? Now that it's not a good way to make a living. To go to work and work hard, earn wages, and put it in a bag with holes in it, because while you're walking around, it's trickling out everything that you've made by your hard work. That's chapter 1. And he says there's a reason for that. Consider your ways. You are building your houses, but you're not building my house. You're putting your emphasis on your things and not seeking first the kingdom of God. That's chapter 1. Then chapter 2, they get to building. They heard the message, they repented, and they began building. So God sent a prophet that had a successful ministry. They began building. But when they laid out the foundation of this thing, it was so pitiful they started bawling. Because they remembered how grand Solomon's temple had been that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed. So they're looking at these stakes and strings showing the foundation for this little house and they start bawling. 
The Bible tells us that the young generation was shouting because they were glad they had a temple again. The old generation knew that it was pitiful and you couldn't tell which was winning, the joy or the bawling. The young ones were happy to have a temple. The old ones said this is pitiful in comparison to what Solomon built. And, and, the, and the Lord recognizes that in verse 3. The Lord said, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Haggai 2.3. How do you see it now? How do you compare this house that we're starting to build with what Solomon built? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Doesn't it look like nothing in comparison? And the answer to that rhetorical question, can you guess what the answer is? Yes, it looked like nothing in comparison to what Solomon built. So the Lord had an answer for them. He said in verse 6, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once, it is a little while. And I, not a long while, a little while. Yet a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. The simplest prophecy in the Bible. Haggai 2, right there, the verses that we just read. Two houses. Solomon built one, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. Zerubbabel and these people are building it again. Only two houses, the former house and the latter house. They were concerned because it was so small that it wouldn't please the Lord. And the Lord said, I already own all the gold and silver in the world. You don't have to put gold and silver in this house to please me because I already own it all. But I have something that's about to happen. I'm going to shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the dry land, and the desire of all nations is going to come. That is the Lord Jesus Christ, and He did come. The shaking of the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and the dry land is not this. It's a total upheaval of religious things. Because the old covenant disappeared, and the new covenant arrived in the person of a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, who brought in everlasting peace in that house. The Lord Jesus Christ went into that temple and he preached the message of peace as the Prince of Peace. When they crucified him outside the city, he took the veil of that temple and rent it in twain from top to bottom and he made peace in that house. And the glory of that latter house was greater than the glory of the first house because who cares about Solomon's gold? God owns all the silver and the gold anyway. But what we really want in a temple is peace with God and Jesus Christ brought it in the latter house. There is no other house. There are two houses. Former, latter. And the latter is 2,000 years gone. The Apostle Paul took this prophecy and quoted it in Hebrews chapter 12 and applied it this way. Wherefore, he knew that he was in the shaking of the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the dry land. It was a 40-year shaking, the time of reformation, because God was shaking a rug to get the dust off it. And the dust was the old covenant, so that what was left was permanent. And Paul said, Wherefore, we receiving, not we shall receive, but wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Do you know what it means when it cannot be moved? It means when you shake, it still stays. Because when God shook the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the dry land, He was shaking and turning the religious things upside down. Old covenant gone. New covenant ushered in. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, we receiving it. We are come to Mount Zion that is above to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the firstborn, to blood that speaketh better things than that of Abel, because it brings peace. Let us serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. God has given us His new covenant. Haggai chapter 2 was fulfilled, and it was written 400 years before the events. The glory of this latter house. Do you know what the word latter means? There's only two things. Do you know what the word former means? There's only two things. One's first and one's second. The former was Solomon's temple. 
The latter was Zerubbabel's temple. Which temple did Jesus Christ visit? Zerubbabel's temple. What did Jesus Christ do in that temple? He made peace with God by preaching and ripping that veil in half. And then Paul told us that this prophecy was being fulfilled in his time as the old covenant was in its beggarly elements was floating off into space because of God shaking religious things upside down. And what was left? Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Ye are come. Paul told those Hebrew Christians, ye are come unto Mount Zion and to the Jerusalem which is above. Ye are come, not ye shall come. This is not some millennial kingdom made up by Jewish fables. Anytime you find someone trying to preach a message to protect physical Jews, you've got a Jewish fable. Because God has broken down that middle wall of partition between us, and He's brought both into one body. There are not two bodies, and one floating around It's going to be brought back together. There's one body, Jews and Gentiles, by the blood of Christ, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul made that abundantly clear in Ephesians 2 and 3, and other apostles, and the Lord Jesus made it clear in other places. That's the book of Haggai. Let's go to Malachi and finish. Malachi, chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament. The book that's quoted several times in the New Testament, the Gospels, because it describes the Lord Jesus Christ and His predecessor, John the Baptist. I have skipped over Micah. And there's other prophecies that could be raised, but we've looked at enough. We want to see what the Old Testament had to say so far in advance of what Jesus Christ accomplished There is no greater event than what Jesus Christ did in the cross of Calvary. It was a turning of things upside down. There was no more need for a priesthood. There was no more need for a lamb. There was no more need for oxen. No altar. No trumpets. No candlesticks. None of that. Jesus Christ changed all that. That's why that last supper he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Forget that blood. It's all gone. But do you know what he thought of anyone that despised that blood? Let us make sure we don't despise it in any way. Malachi chapter 3, behold, Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Who is that? John the Baptist. Any doubt? No doubt at all, because this is quoted over and over in the New Testament. John the Baptist, and the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. What temple? Zerubbabel's temple. That's the temple that was in existence when John the Baptist was announcing the coming of Jesus Christ. When I say Zerubbabel's temple, I mean the Jewish man that helped build it 400 years before that Haggai stirred up to build it. Are you all with me? He shall suddenly come to his temple. Do you know what, do you know how C.I. Schofield and almost everyone else in this city understands that verse? It's going to be a rebuilt Jewish temple. I wonder what they're going to do with the uh, the mosque that is sitting there covering all of Temple Mount. I'd like to see the Jews take out the Muslims to rebuild some goofball third temple that God's not going to have anything to do with. He's already said, your house is left unto you desolate. God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. And Stephen unloaded that sermon on the Jews in Acts chapter 7. What is the temple today? It's the, Lord, it's the body of believers that have been built together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some have gone before us. Some are here. It's the whole family in heaven and in earth that are named after the name of God. Malachi chapter 3. I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. It wouldn't be very long after John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptized him and Jesus came to that temple. Even the messenger of the covenant... Whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But now follow me. But who may abide the day of his coming? Jesus came with more than just peace on that generation. He came and condemned all the religious leaders of that day. He came and spoke peace to those that feared God and that were looking for a Redeemer. But he had no peace to those that had their own 
false religion, as we studied in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, as he took apart their theology and their practice piece by piece. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. Jesus Christ would be like fire when he came. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Jesus Christ would get rid of the Levitical priesthood, usher in a new priesthood where you and I are kings and priests before God. The way to God is opened wide up, wide open. No more are there false sons of Levi shedding animal blood to try to make peace with God. We have peace with the blood of Christ once and for all to go into the holiest of all and worship God. We are the new priests. We are the refined priests. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. That is a gospel promise, and it has a gospel fulfillment. It was based on John the Baptist and the first arrival of Jesus Christ in changing the form of worship. And we're the new priests. Just, just like we read from Amos that God would raise up the tabernacle of David again, here the worship of God is going to be acceptable again. It wasn't acceptable in Malachi. Read the book of Malachi. Study the book of Malachi. Look what we read earlier this morning. These people snuffed at the worship of God. God hated their worship. Do you know what the book is called? The burden of Israel. He was going to pound that nation into oblivion and grind them to powder as we're, as we're going to read, as we are reading. He refined some new priests and we are those priests because he's made us kings and priests in the new kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years, because we're worshiping Him through the blood of Christ, which makes it totally acceptable, our worship. Keep watching John the Baptist introducing Jesus Christ, and here's what Jesus Christ's ministry would be like. And I will come near to you to judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. If it were not for God having a plan, a determinate counsel of the plan of God to bring John the Baptist, then Jesus, he would have obliterated the nation back then. But he had a plan. Because I change not. I am going to give you more warnings by John the Baptist to prepare the way before me. But then the Son of God will be coming to that temple. And he came. And he's going to come in judgment on that temple and upon those Jews that were so wicked. And he calls them sons of Jacob. This is the burden of Israel. It's not the burden of the end of the world. It's not the burden of the Gentiles. It's not the burden of the tribulation of Gentiles. It's the burden of Israel. And Malachi dropped the hammer in the final book of the Old Testament before John the Baptist burst on the scene as soon as we open up the New Testament. You can keep reading. You can read through the rest of Malachi chapter 3. It gets to the last three verses and it says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Fulfilled, 70 A.D. 70 A.D. God burned up and destroyed his enemies. God saved his elect. Jesus said that over and over. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Those days should be shortened to save the elect. His jewels that he made up that feared him. The Simeons, the Annas, and all those that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Mary Magdalene's were his jewels and he burned up the rest. This is the burden of Israel. Chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven.
The day cometh that shall burn as an oven. The burden upon Israel in the days of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Malachi 3, 1. Jesus Christ, Malachi 3, 1. John the Baptist, Malachi 4. And Jesus Christ, Malachi 4. His first coming would include His coming to save us with healing in His wings. And His coming would also be like an oven to burn up the chaff and put His wheat into His garner from that wicked nation. John the Baptist didn't even know about the second coming. John the Baptist had one ministry to announce the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and what would happen to that nation if they didn't believe on Him that was coming after Him. He has a fan in His hand and He will burn up the chaff of this nation and gather the wheat into His garner. I have to rely on you right now to remember Matthew chapter 3 before we get to it this evening. Because I want you to look right here at Malachi chapter 4. Look at this tiny little chapter that closes out the Old Testament and closes out the burden of Israel. This is God's burden on that wicked nation. The day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. Do you know what stubble is? It's chaff. Look it up. Stubble and chaff. The wasted hulls of grain. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Destroyed nation. Cut off and destroyed and left desolate. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Literally fulfilled in 70 A.D. when the elect, the days were shortened for the elect's sake, that feared God, that believed Jesus Christ, followed the message of the apostles, left the city of Jerusalem, did not come from the countryside into Jerusalem, but left it. They walked the land of Judea and saw the remains of that nation as ashes under their feet because God had made an enormous difference in that nation between those that did wickedly And those that feared him and spake often on his name. He had written their names in his book. And he kept them. Names in their book are the elect. Elect. Except those days should be shortened. Even the elect wouldn't survive it. But the days were shortened so that the elect would survive it. He kept every one that was written in his book. Verse 4. Remember ye the law of Moses. Why do you, where do do we start this morning? The law of Moses, the book of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Remember, I told you that this was going to happen if you disobeyed me. Now we're down to two verses from the Old Testament and the burden of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I will send another warning before I come and execute this judgment on this nation. And who who was that? Elijah the prophet. And they want to take that fifth verse, rip it out of Malachi in its context, ram it way out in the future when there isn't even a Jewish nation for it to apply to. And when Jesus said, this is Elijah, if you have ears to hear, and if you will receive it. This is Elias that was for to come, John the Baptist. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord on this nation. It's not the burden of the world. It's not the burden of America. It's not the burden of the United Nations. It's the burden of Israel. Remember Moses and what he told you. This shouldn't be of any surprise to you. But I will send you one final warning. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. His ministry was not successful enough to hold back God's curse on that generation. And tonight when we come together, we'll open up the Bible 
This is the end of the Old Testament. We'll open up the New Testament, and the very first words we hear are, Ye generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And there was only one wrath that John the Baptist knew about, and it was the wrath right here that God was just about to unleash the burden of Israel on that wicked nation. He says the axe is now laid to the root of the tree. And then he said, the one coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost, making a wonderful nation of kings and priests. And he's going to baptize you with fire by burning up the chaff and leaving the grain. This is the Old Testament. Tonight we'll see the new. May the Lord bless us with understanding, but most of all, may the Lord bless us to humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ, lest he smite us with any sort of a curse. Let me say again what Paul said. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. This is my Lord. This is my King. I am his little ambassador. This is his message. Amen. Amen.